I mean, yeah. so much of the unity, from what I'm understanding you say, the unity we long for in the church actually starts with our time with God by ourselves. Yeah, it does. And that's the thing, okay? Uh, I grew up in this last generation of what we call church, where it was about a lot of things uh, besides you really connecting with him. In other words, I... I, I, I said this to the elders, you know, we were, we were praying a couple weeks ago, the elders at the church, we were just talking about how we've missed a lot of things and we have not seen ourselves and we need to see ourselves like the receptionist at the ER, okay? No one is coming to see us. And if they want to see us, we have to tell them, look, I, I don't know what I can do for you. Okay, all I want to do is get you into a room with a great physician. There's this physician and you've got to be alone with him. My only job is to get you in that room. Okay, you didn't come to see me. I hope you didn't come to see me. Um, no one comes to see me. They shouldn't. If you did, then you're off. If the only reason you'd want to see me is because I can get you to him and he is going to change you. And this is not the mindset. And so that's why for years people are like, oh, I want to hear Francis. I want to, you know, hear this preacher. I want, I want to go to this person's church. And it's not, I want to know the creator who says he wants to know me. Can anyone help me? Just point me in this direction. I, by myself, am going to go after him. But people have been satisfied with the receptionist. And they're blaming the receptionist. And, and just, you know, we as elders, we're just going, we've got to see ourselves in this. We're taking on too much. And... People are not satisfied. They go, oh, we've experienced church. I've experienced Christianity. It doesn't do anything for me. And now there's more and more people in our position who have become public figures that go, you know what? I don't think I believe this anymore. I am walking away from my belief system. And I go, how do you do that? And I realize it's because it's a belief system to you. I'm walking away from my parents' belief system if you encountered him, you don't walk away from that. Moses doesn't walk off of Mount Sinai and go, I'm going to walk away from my belief system. Right. Right? Even Joe Peter. Even Peter, right? Yeah. What a belief system. Uh, they, yeah. The people who encountered the resurrected Christ, yeah. do the disciples walk out of that room after Jesus appears to them and go, I'm going to walk away from my belief system. Do, 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 they, do they have these tongues of fire land upon them and these miracles work? And they go, I'm going to walk away from my belief system. No, people do this because they never encountered him. They encountered a preacher. They encountered a service that felt great, but they don't know him. I'm sorry for going long on this, but I am so passionate. Okay, last Isaiah 29, 13 says that these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught to them by men. So 
this is just someone taught you to fear God. Maybe you, even you read Crazy Love or you heard a Francis Chan sermon and he told me to fear God, so I began to fear God. I taught you the fear of God. God did not teach you the fear of God. That's why when, when, when Jesus asked Peter, who do you say that I am? And he says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. He goes, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, but my father from heaven. That was not man that taught you that. You encountered him. podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in today. What you just heard was an excerpt from Anna Downs podcast where she interviewed Francis Chan. And the episode that that came from, if you want to check out more of it, is episode 286. And I felt like it was such a good launching pad to what we're going to be talking about today. So this is part two of a two-part episode that we're doing this week. So yeah, you're getting two episodes today. And the whole reasoning behind doing two episodes is that 10 years ago, my life completely changed because I met Jesus. And the last episode right before this, part one, was me talking about that moment, talking about June 2011, 10 years ago as of recording this right now. And so it's such a special date to me. And I had just this overwhelming desire to share with you some of the things the Lord has shown me about himself through these 10 years and things that I am still learning and that my prayer is that I will continue to learn. And so that excerpt that you just heard from the conversation between Anna Downs and Francis Chan is so key that it's about Jesus, it's about Jesus. So no matter where today finds you, those that are listening or watching this podcast right now, my heart and prayer is that everything we talk about today, that you will at least walk away with a better understanding of who Jesus is, regardless if you're a follower of Jesus or not a follower of Jesus. And so no matter what brings you to this podcast, brings you to this episode, I am honored that you are here. And so I would be privileged to pray with you and for you before we jump into today's episode. So here, let's pray together. Lord God, just thank you for who you are. Lord, I just thank you for these 10 years of of your faithfulness in my life that I just have been able to experience an intimacy with you. But Lord, I specifically pray for those right now that are listening or watching this that do not feel an intimacy with you. Lord, I pray for those right now that are listening, watching this, that those that don't feel that intimacy, Lord, that they will be able to lean into this time that we have together, Lord, and know that they can experience the intimacy that they long for and that they feel is lacking. They truly can, Lord. And though the enemy wants us to believe that we can't and that we've gone too far and we've fallen too far or we're too far gone, Lord, that is a lie from the pit of hell. And the truth is, is that you are passionately in pursuit after each and every heart. And Lord, that is both those that have asked you to be Lord of their life and those who have not, Lord, may we even go deeper. May there be even more of a depth to that intimacy as we learn about this freedom that you offer, that you promise that is here. Freedom is here, Lord, and we thank you for that even when we don't feel it. And it's in your name we pray and we surrender. Amen. 
Amen. As of recording this episode, my best friend since fifth grade, him and his wife just welcomed their firstborn son into this world, Levi Hawkins. I found myself with this almost anticipation of his delivery. I, I didn't sleep well that night that he was being born, and as of recording this episode, they're still in the hospital awaiting to be discharged, but I didn't sleep well, and I was just texting my buddy, Taylor, and I was just asking him, like, hey, man, how's it going? Like, praying for you guys, and I remember the text that I got where he was just like, hey, like, he's coming, he's coming, like, I, I, like I see his head, you know, and, like, it's just, like, mind-boggling to me not only the fact that my best friend just had a kid, but I remember so many times where me and Taylor, one memory specifically, we were, we were up on like kind of a hill and we were just kind of like overlooking like the road and the tree line and everything. And we were listening to a song by the artist Brandon Heath. And the name of the song is Wait and See. And the artist in the song, if you haven't heard it, the artist is just basically saying that like, hey, I was born in these circumstances, and like this is how I kind of like grew up. Um, but through it all, Lord, you have a plan for my life. Like I'm acknowledging that, Lord, you have been there since the beginning and you will be there till the end. And I just have to wait and see. And no matter where I go, no matter what I do, Lord, that you are faithful. And I'm coming expectant just to be a part of the process. And Taylor, he he FaceTimed me a little before recording this episode. He FaceTimed me and I got to see Levi. And as I was just like looking at Levi for the very first time, I was just thinking like, Levi, if you only knew, if you only knew how your dad is like a real person. And we've been through some crazy stuff. There's been some super high highs and some low lows. And, and your mom, your mom has had some high highs and some low lows. And just like, Levi, if you only knew the conversations that have happened, you know, even before you were ever conceived about you, if you only knew how much love and how much just purpose your life has. As I was just like staring at this like helpless baby, I was thinking about, God, you saw then what we're seeing now, that there is like nothing that surprises you that you are present, you are present, you are omnipotent, you know all things, you see all things, and yet you still invite us to walk with you. The Bible says when we come to Jesus, we receive his spirit. We receive the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead, the same spirit in Genesis chapter one that was hovering over the waters when God said, let there be, the same spirit that assisted in creating all of life the same spirit that dwelled in Christ dwells in us the moment that we surrender to Christ. And when we come to Christ, we are forgiven of our sins. We are made new. We are born again. Yet I find that through these 10 years that I'm still walking out and learning, okay, what does it mean to be free in Jesus? Because the Bible says when we come to Jesus, we are free from the bondage of sin and death. This is what the Bible says about who we are. When God looks at us, what does he see? This is what the Bible says. It says this, Galatians 3, verse 26 says this, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. So 
Paul is saying to the Galatian church that when we come to Jesus, we are adopted into the family of God and he sees us as sons and daughters. He sees us as children of himself. Another passage of how God sees us as children and the importance of us understanding that we are children of God You know, not only are we sons and daughters, but being sons and daughters mean that we are a child of God. And when we come to Jesus, he becomes our father, that we are adopted into his family. We are no longer a part of the family of sin and death, but we are a part of the family of righteousness and of life. So in Matthew chapter 18, verse 3, Jesus continues this whole thought, and he said this, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Okay, so when we come to Jesus, we become adopted into his family, we become little children. And part of becoming a child is that change that happened within us through being born again. So in order to understand the freedom that comes, the freedom that is promised to us as children of God, those who have accepted Jesus, in order for us to truly understand what does that freedom look like, the only thing we can really go off of is, okay, What does it mean to be a child? What does it mean to be a child? What is that process like? And so by observing a child, we are able to say, okay, how do I walk out this freedom? Because there are things in my life that I still don't feel free from. There are sins in my life that I still struggle with. Every single day, I'm reminded of how broken I am. But again, if I'm free, if I'm new in Christ, why do I still feel broken at times? Why do I still feel as if I am not free? So as we're talking about freedom, the first point is this. Freedom begins with an identity. It doesn't begin with a behavior. You can act free all you want, but if you're not free, then you're just not free. When we think about this whole freedom in Christ, sometimes we associate freedom with behavior. Okay, Uh, freedom means that I won't do X, Y, and Z. And there's elements of that 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 make sense, but I want us to think of it, again, because we are free through Jesus. We are not free through our behavior. We are not free because of what we do or what we haven't done. We are not even enslaved because of what we do or what we haven't done. We are enslaved because of identity. We are free because of identity. I am a slave to sin because my identity in sin. I am now adopted into the family of God as a child of God because of an identity in freedom, identity in him. So freedom begins with an identity. Behavioral will naturally follow when we know who we are. When I am a slave to money, then my behavior will act accordingly to that. When I am a slave to Christ, my behavior will naturally follow in that. Now, sometimes we want for that freedom to be immediate when it comes to our behavior. This is not the way that behavior works. For instance, a child, when they are learning to walk, to have that freedom, there are moments where that child will fall. There are moments that a child will try one thing and their balance will get off kilter. The parent tries to help teach and lead the child into the freedom that the child desires and that the parents desire for the child to have. They lead that child and help the child through the situations and circumstances that the child is going through, uh, you know, in this example, learning to walk, in order for that child to, through the struggle, not only develop muscle, but even develop neurological connections within their head 
of what is needed in order for them to walk. It is through the struggle that a literal child learns freedom. Likewise, as a child of God, it is through the struggle that we learn what it means to be free in Christ. Think about that. It is through the struggle that we learn more of not only who he is, but as we learn about who Jesus is, in turn, we learn more about ourselves. Why? Because our identity is no longer in ourselves or who others say about us or this world or sin or brokenness or death, but our identity is in the resurrected Savior. It is through the struggle that we understand what freedom is and we choose freedom. There might be moments where a child, even as they're learning how to walk or after they learn how to walk, there are times where a child will still crawl. There are times where I crawl. (laughs) I crawled the other day. My garbage disposal went out and I had to crawl underneath the whole sink in order to try to fix what was there. I I was crawling. But does that mean that I am becoming something that I'm not? No. I'm just crawling. (laughs) My identity isn't in what I do. My identity is in Christ. So as we learn this whole idea of freedom, we are constantly brought back to the reality that it comes down to identity. Identity. I am free through Jesus. I am free through an identity in you. Now, the follow-up to that is, okay, what about behavior, though? What about behavior? Maybe you may be listening or watching this. You're like me, and you're saying, look, my behavior does not always line up with the freedom that the Bible claims that I have in Jesus, that I still become a slave to uh, money or lust or greed or all these other anger, all these other different things. And I feel sometimes as if I even regressed in different areas that before I came to Christ that I, I was, I was maybe even stronger in some of these areas. And now I feel like I'm even weaker. So what does that mean? God, am I saved? Am I okay? You know, all this other stuff. These are valid, valid, valid questions. Something I want us to also think about, though, is this, that as a child grows, they are constantly shaping their perspective from what they once thought into what is true. So a child might, this is a crazy example, a child might think that walking or uh, using the restroom is like crazy. It might even scare them. There was a time when I was a child that haircuts scared me. There was times that even taking a bath scared me, you know, doing the shampoo in your head. And part of that fear came from, you know, negative responses at times. There were times where the person was cutting my hair and maybe the clippers got a little too close to my skin and it hurt a little bit. So through that hurt, we sometimes withdraw and we have a fear about something. Now, if I let that hurt dictate what I thought about shampooing, or getting a haircut, then that would hinder my quality of life. Again, as a crazy example, but you get what I'm saying. If I let that hurt tell me what is true, then I'm not really believing what is true, I'm believing a lie. As a child grows, a child gets to a point where they start to shape, they start to realize, wait, what I thought may not be true, so I'm exchanging what I thought for what is true. I'm exchanging what I thought for what is true. As a child of God, every day is an opportunity to learn more about what it means to be free in Christ by changing what I thought into what is true. This process is called sanctification. 
the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead that dwells in us as we surrender to Christ, the spirit through us is helping lead us into all truth. The Bible says, Jesus says that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will lead you into all truth. And so as we walk out in freedom, we we start to learn, okay, what is true and what is lies? There are times as a child and how a child perceives things that they feel like it's very clear what is true, but in reality, it's false. I remember one time, I think my dad disciplined me and I literally believed that my dad was an enemy. And I remember telling my dad, I hate you. I hate you. I don't want anything to do with you. And I remember running away and, and I, <laughs> it's funny, I hid underneath my little brother's crib. In that moment, I was so convinced that what I was feeling was true. But was it true though? My dad clearly knew that it wasn't true. My dad was pursuing after me because he knew what was true. He pursued after me because he cared. Now, in my mind, I didn't think he did. But again, I had to get to a point in my life where I said, wait, okay, no, my, I don't hate my dad. And yes, I do want to be a part of his life. And so as I grew, what once was a, a blocker or a hindrance was no longer a blocker or a hindrance. It was something that I surrendered because I received truth. Likewise, as we grow in freedom, there are things that we will still do and say, again, behavior, behavior that will not line up with the freedom that has been promised to us. But as the Holy Spirit sanctifies us, as we start to realize, wait a minute, cheating is, is not only wrong, but it's a hindrance to that abundant life and that freedom that I've been called to. Oh, wait, you know, manipulating and lying to somebody that's a hindrance to the abundant free life that I have in Christ. Wait a minute, looking at pornography is a hindrance to that abundant free life that I have in Christ, that cheating on my spouse, being deceitful. But as you are sanctified, you start to realize, wait a minute, no, 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 what I thought was free is not free. There's a heavy cost and it is not worth it. <laughs> very similar to us as well as we learn about this freedom. There's this temptation though in literal children, and I can see this over my life, even in these 10 years of following Christ. There's this temptation to think that you know more than you really know. There's a temptation to, in our rebellion, even just as literal people, to want to have all the answers, to not want to depend on somebody because there's this feeling which is a lie, but it's a feeling. There's this feeling that if I depend on somebody, if I show weakness, then they're going to think that I'm a child. And I don't want people to think less of me. I want people to think more of me. So if I want people to think more of me, then I'm not gonna share my weakness. I'm not gonna share the reality that I don't know what I claim to know. I want to know more, that I, I have so much more to learn. As a child grows, there's this temptation to believe that they're not dependent on others. 
that they can figure it all out on their own. Every child goes through this. Usually you see this manifested in the teenage years, right? But even as adults, we are no different than teenagers. We do the same things. <laughs> we have the same mindset sometimes. So is that temptation in literal children to believe that they are not dependent on others. However, it's in the moments of humbling. It's in the moments of struggle that a child learns that they are more dependent than they would like to believe. When a little kid, going back to the example of walking, when a little kid is trying to walk, sometimes you'll see them kind of push away or free, quote unquote, free themselves from the parents and start to walk. But what happens the moment that the child starts to uh, uh, lose a balance? What happens when the child falls and hits the floor? Sometimes with a thud. You know, God forbid, even breaks something, you know, you know. What happens when that happens? What does the child look to? The parent. He looks right back to the parent. Why? Because he knew that through the parent, there was a source of security. There was a source of, of aid. When we as people get in this prideful arrogance that, God, I can do this on my own, the moment that crap hits the fan, who do we turn to? God. So part of learning freedom is saying, God, I am dependent on you. I am dependent on you. That there are times where I feel like I'm not, and those are the moments that I start to lose that balance. And through losing that balance, I turn to you. So as we grow and as we are sanctified, we start to say, God, I want that distance between my pride and reconciliation with you and humility, I want that distance, that travel distance, instead of being days or weeks or months or years before I had that repentant heart, God, I want for that to be more instant. I want the moment that I fall, the moment that I start to even think about falling, those quick moments, as quick as a snap, I want to turn to you in a repentant heart and say, Lord, okay, okay, I'm not living in the freedom that you've called me to. God, help me, renew me, show me. Take what I believe to be a lie. Show me the error of my ways in order for me to walk it out more and so that I don't keep choosing the lies. And that is a process. It sometimes does not happen overnight. Can the Lord deliver us overnight over things? Oh, heck yeah. And there's things in my life that I've experienced deliverance over, but there are also things in my life that is still a constant work of sanctification. And humans might get frustrated with me. Humans might say, well, the timetable that I have in my box of where you should be is not where you are, so therefore I'm disappointed in you. But our God knows that there is not a timetable, but there is a obedience and submission to the Holy Spirit. And as we are being obedient and submissive to the Holy Spirit, in his timing, he will work all things out for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. <laughs> we are dependent on Jesus. And part of walking out that freedom first is an identity that is wrapped around righteousness and life. And that is an identity that none of our behavior can ever strip us from. But it's second wrapped around the whole reality that we are dependent on the spirit of God to produce the freedom that we long for. And as we submit to the spirit of God, we will just naturally experience that freedom that we were created for and that we long for. In wisdom, an individual, as they grow, will not refuse a helping hand to get them to the goal that they desire to get to. When you're a child, I can do this on my own. I got this. I don't need you, right? 
And that's arrogant. That's arrogant. As children of God, sometimes you and me, we're arrogant. We refuse help from others. We refuse wise counsel. We refuse even the promptings of the Holy Spirit. We grieve the Spirit through our own beliefs and our own actions. But as we grow in maturity, as you grow from a child to a man or a woman, as that maturity happens, that sanctification happens, you start to realize, wait a minute, why in the heck would I refuse help to get me to the goal that I desire to get to? And as we grow in Christ, the goal of our life starts to become less of our own goal and it starts to become more of the goal of the Lord. Lord, help me lean not on my own understanding, but in all of my ways, help me acknowledge you and know that you will make my path straight. Not my will to be done, but your will to be done. We see maturity perfected in Jesus. And even in the garden, Jesus, he said in maturity, and Jesus the son of God, the flesh of life himself, Jesus. Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done. So there's this exchange of saying, okay, I want what you want. If we're trying to figure out what does it mean to be free in Christ, what does he want? These are some passages that have to do with what the goal of your life and my life is. This is what it says in Hebrews chapter 12. It says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Verse two, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding his shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor besides God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. The Bible says that our mission is to pick up our own cross and to what? Follow him. Follow him. So what is the goal? The goal is to be obedient to Jesus. How do we do that? By fixing our eyes on Christ. And also, we run the race of obedience to Jesus, submission to his word. And when that is the goal of your life and my life, why would we refuse help to get us to that goal? Now, sometimes there are people or things that aren't in tune with that goal, and they may be trying to give us advice or give us counsel or whatever that does not pertain to that goal. It doesn't keep our eyes focused on Christ. If anything, it starts to put our eyes maybe on an identity that is wrapped around sin and death. If that's the case, then that is part of that sin that entangles that the author of Hebrews is saying, let's cast that off. So if there is help or counsel, quote unquote, whatever, that is entangling us and taking our eyes off of Christ, then that is something that we throw off. That is something that we refuse. That is something that we run away from. But if it is helping us to keep our eyes focused on Christ and helping us achieve the goal that he has set before us of picking up our cross and following after him and telling this world about the hope that Christ has, if that's the goal, then as we mature in freedom as children of God, we do not push that away. If anything, we embrace it. We say, come, come, come close, come close, come close. Another passage about this whole goal of our life now is 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 to 27. This is what Paul says to the Corinthian church. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. 
but we do it for eternal prize. So I run with a purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that I might, after preaching to others, might myself be disqualified. What Paul is saying, he's not saying that through your behavior, you earn the prize. He's saying that your heart needs to be focused on the prize and your behavior will follow. When I run the race to win, I will train my body in order to get there. When I run the race to win, I will train my body to get there. Likewise, when we run the race to be a good and faithful servant of Jesus Christ, we will desire for those behaviors to follow. Why? Because we don't want to be disqualified. The goal is worth the behavior. The goal is worth the change. The goal is worth the sacrifice. The goal is even worth the struggle. If the struggle is what it takes for us to grow, then we embrace the struggle saying, okay, I'm not going to run away from the chaos. Why? Because Lord, you can produce a color in this chaos that can help me see you more. So if I can see you more, then Lord, come what may, all things work out for the good of those who are called according to his plan and purpose. You start to see everything is good when you start to see, okay, Lord, you have a plan and purpose through this. You have a plan and purpose through this. And the powers of hell can't rob that plan and purpose. So even when there are bad things that happen to me, even when there are bad things that I do, I know at the end of the day, Lord, you are good. So I pivot my eyes back to the author and perfecter of my faith. And I run the race with endurance, knowing that, Lord, your spirit is what enables me to run this race. So I'm going to feed the spirit of, your spirit in me, the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, instead of feeding my flesh, feeding my sinful, selfish desires. What you feed grows. Run the race. Recently, I had to undergo surgery. Back in August, if you've been watching and listening to this podcast or you know me personally, you know that I, I fractured and dislocated my left ankle after playing basketball. It was pretty nasty. And uh, even now, if I look at it, it's a nasty scar that is there. But in August, I got a lot of hardware put into my ankle. And recently, uh, the surgeon told me that if I would like to get the hardware removed, that we can do that now instead of it down the road leading to complications. So I recently went in to get surgery. And I've shared this before in this podcast. I hate needles. I hate needles. And I went into knowing that I had to get an IV and everything. I went into it just like dreading that. What I did find, though, is that the needles were easier when the nurse gave me a numbing solution. So I was kind of worried at first because I was like, oh, no, I don't want another needle. I almost told her, like, hey, don't numb me. Like, you know, I just just give me the needles. Give me the IV, whatever you have to do, because I don't want another numbing through the needle that you're about to give me. And so she numbed me, and then I found that the IV that was being put in later was a lot easier to bear. There are chaoses in our life that numb us. My prayer is that in that numbing, we're not numb to Jesus. We might be numb to ourselves. We might be numb to others. We might be processing a lot. We, we might have to go receive help because of that numbing. 
But I, I pray that there's a sensitivity between you and your creator, savior, sustainer, and between me and my creator, savior, sustainer, that goes far beyond anything this world can offer. That there's this intimate sensitivity, this alive, this zeal. And when I look back over my life, these 10 years, there are high highs and there are low lows. There are moments when I felt so close to Jesus that nothing else mattered. And I call those moments revival in a way, is that I was so focused on Jesus that like nothing else mattered and I was able to put everything else in its proper perspective and to treat everything as Christ would treat it. And I love those moments, but there are moments where I just don't want anything to do with Jesus. There are moments I don't want anything to do with his word. There are moments that I don't want to walk out the disciplines that I know that I've been called to. There are moments that I grieve the spirit within me in immeasurable ways. I am a wretch of a man apart from Christ. But through it all, through these 10 years, what I see highlighted is Jesus. Jesus. He's the point of it all. He's the reason why I do this podcast. He's the reason that, that I live, that I breathe, that I wake up at six o'clock to record this. He's the reason. And, and when I strip myself of Jesus, I find that I strip myself of life. Heavy heart. <laughs> we have a God who is a faithful father, no matter what has been done to you, no matter what you've done. And he has called us to a freedom and he is capable of walking us through that freedom. But may we hold his hand. May we want more of him. May we want more of it. May we trust him in the process. We won't get all the steps right. We'll mess up. <laughs> My buddy Taylor and his wife Reed, they will mess up as parents. But does that strip them from the reality that they are parents? No, their identity is secure. Their identity is secure. Likewise, heavy heart, our identity is secure in Christ. If you're listening or watching this and you've not yet surrendered your identity to Christ, then this might even be the moment. And it comes through a end of ourselves. A, a, just a reality that I, apart from you, Lord, my identity is in sin and death. Who in the heck wants their identity to be in sin and death, you know? No matter where today finds you, you are loved. Every breath is a chance. The process of sanctification and salvation is the act of learning what it means to be a child of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. May we surrender what we think we know to the God who does. May we surrender our effort to the Holy Spirit that can give us a heart. May we surrender all of our own understanding and lean not on that own understanding, but in all of our ways. May we, through him and him alone, acknowledge him and know that he will make our path straight. May we have a heart of worship saying, God, I am not, but you are. God, you are worth more than my thoughts, my theologies, my beliefs or whatever. You are worth more. You are the author and perfecter of this faith that I hold. And since I am surrounded by a cloud of great witnesses through all of time of people that look to you, I'm going to learn from them in order for me not to fall in the same ways that my brothers and my brothers and my brothers and my brothers and my sisters and my sisters and my fathers and my fathers and my great fathers and all of this, all the way back to Adam has fallen. I'm going to learn. I'm going to have a humble heart. 
Lord, I'm going to look to you. Lord, as I know more about you, Jesus, I'm going to naturally serve as you served. I'm going to love as you love. Why? Because I've been served by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I've been loved by the King of the King and the Lord of Lords. Heavy heart. As we walk in Christ, we realize that we are little kids. We are little kids, but that's okay because the kingdom of God belongs to those such as that. Lord God, I thank you that as we are crawling and learning to walk, that you are faithful to hold us by the hand and do the work and wonder within us that we can't do ourselves. Lord, I pray for those right now that are listening or watching this. They just feel jaded. They feel overwhelmed. They feel hurt. They're tired. They're exhausted. Lord, give them a revival. Bring to life what is dead within them. Lord, may there be more of an awe and wonder. May there be more of a dependency upon you. May we surrender what little we know to the God of the universe. May we submit to your word in humility and reverence. Lord, we are sons and daughters of you, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Help us not get it twisted. Help us not get it twisted. You are faithful to complete the work that you have begun in us. Lord, help us be students, disciples of you, the master. Lord, help us walk out what you've called us to do, to go into the world and to make disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. And we can't do that if we don't sit at your feet. So Lord, help us humble ourselves. Help us curl up into your arms at your feet and know that you will pick us up, lift us up and, and, and just love and admiration and you will hold us up and you will say, you are my child and I love you and I'm proud of you. Lord, if there's any word that has been spoken over those that are listening or watching this that is destructive and that is lies from an enemy that wants to still kill and destroy, Lord, may your word make us whole again. Jesus, you love us. You love us. You don't forsake us. There's nothing we can do that can make you love us any less. So we come to you with all that we are. Lord, these 10 years of my life following you now, Lord, God, I've just learned that you are so much bigger than I ever thought that moment in, in my room, June 2011, where I came to you for the first time. Lord, may that be every day, that breath that's a chance to respond to you. Lord, shout your name over us. Shout who we are. God, remind us of the truth pierce through the darkness with a shout of truth and just exhortation of just saying, you are my child. I am proud of you. I'm proud of you. Why? Because you are a, you are clothed in the robe of my son. God, thank you that you are faithful. Jesus, we look to you and Holy Spirit, lead us in your way everlasting. And it's in your name we pray and we surrender. Amen. Amen. There is one God and that God loves you and has a plan and purpose for your life that goes so far beyond anything that you have done, anything that you could do. As we walk out this freedom, as we learn what it means to walk, may we not boast in ourselves. Why? Because there's someone so much greater that we can boast in and his name is Jesus. And may we live our lives praising him and giving him the honor, the glory and the reverence and the surrender he and he alone deserves. 
I wanted to play a song for you. And the name of the song is Shout Your Name. The artist of this song, his name is John Thurlow. I don't know what today holds or tomorrow holds, but what I do know is that God has given me not only 10 years of seeing his faithfulness, but my whole life I can look back and see God's faithfulness. Heavy heart, at the end of the day, there is no one that wants to make things more right than Jesus. So may this be the prayer of our heart today as this song plays. May we cry out, say, God, shout your name over us, not the name of our sin, of our shame, of our death, who we used to be, of lies that the enemy is just shouting over us, but may your word be louder than any thought in my head, any emotion in my heart, any chaos in my life. Shout your name over us. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray and we surrender. Amen. Come and declare your name over us, God. The God of love, God of mercy. Precious blood has paid for us all. You, you took our griefs and carried our sorrow. It has been for us all You, you took our griefs And carried our sorrows You are our heart's desire